and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to 9 to 42, which is the podcast from the guys at the Guitar Show UK. And Le Grand Fromage, uh, Jason Hunt, <laughs> uh, is on screen. Jace, how the devil are you? I'm very good, Ant. I'm very good. It's um, it's about 150 degrees in this room right now. Um, uh, so, <laughs> but other than that, absolutely fine. How are you? Well, I, I, the same as you. A touch clammy, shall we say. <laughs> a, t- a touch clammy. I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to go with it. I don't know if there's such a thing as the male menopause, but so I could potentially blame that because I think I'm in that general age range. So, but I'm, I, yes, it is. It, it's a tad. It's a tad warm. Um, and and you, you're talking into something new, aren't you? I am. I'm an influencer, mate. I'm yeah. An ap- <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I still can't get over this. So tell the world what's happened. <laughs> so um, Trevor and Lisa that uh, own Sontronics microphones, uh, Lisa sent me a, a message a couple of weeks ago, and she said, would you like, hang on a minute, get the name right, a Podcast Pro microphone for your podcast? And I said, absolutely, and I'll give you a shout out. Thank you very much. So I'm using my new microphone tonight. Oh. I can't believe it. I can't believe what you've got. The reluctant podcaster is now an influencer. Absolutely. And 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 I told you last week that we're now in the top 10% of all podcasts. Here we are. We are. I, 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 I don't know what to say, really. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I can't believe us two wittering on like I know, idiots. I know. I know. Top so 10% and one of us is an influencer. Um, and we've got we've got uh, Jonathan uh, with us from Feline Guitars. Uh, how are you, Jonathan? I'm very well. It's quite warm down here too, so we uh, got sitting in an office with a fan blowing in the right direction. Yeah, I, I saw that. It's quite an American-looking fan as well, actually. You've got yeah. quite the American vibe going on there. It looks like one I've borrowed from the gym. <laughs> yeah. You've got a bit of an X-Files office going on, haven't you? It's a bit of a... Are, are you down in the basement? Are, are no, you... no, no, it's just uh, an adjoining office, but it, it multitasks as many things. <laughs> right. And, and and just for me, my information, where, where actually are you? Geographically. Yeah, geographically. Yeah, yeah we're, we're in Croydon, sort of on the boundaries between Croydon and South Croydon. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Fine. I've got you. I know exactly where you are. Um, long time since I've been down there. Um, but uh, but yes, no, exactly. I worked in Streatham for a while ah. uh, and, and lived down in uh, uh, just outside Norwood. Uh, for a, Not for far a, away. Not yeah, far so, away. So, so, so fairly close. The last, the last time I went to um, Croydon was to visit the old offices of Guitar Magazine when it was owned by IPC, I think, before it was bought by Anthem Publishing subsequently bought by Bandlab um, and I, I wasn't really concentrating when I got into the car and I just put the most direct route home on the sat-nav rather than the quickest so the most direct route is to drive all the way through the middle of London <laughs> we've all done it <laughs> Took we've all done it as bad as the M25 looks going through a crowded London's not fun yeah and I had to it. pay the congestion charging I, I listen. Nineteen. What I lived in London, ninety five, ninety six, and looked at a map and thought, 
Well, surely it's got to be quicker just to go straight through the middle. I think it might have been in 1953. <laughs> well, it can't have been. It's coronation year. There must have been loads of people kicking around. <laughs> I'm glad you know that. I have no idea. No, it can't have been. 52 must have been coronation because oh, 57 53. was the gold, uh, silver jubilee. Oh, see, I've got that wrong as well. There's no, there's no wonder nobody sends me anything. <laughs> that, that, therein, therein lies the problem. Anyway, back to questions in, uh, back to questions in hand. <laughs> so, Jonathan, how, how's business? How's um, and when we tend to answer before we get into the nuts and bolts, how's how's lockdown been for you? How's you know what's what's changed at Feline through that period? How's everything going? Actually, we've actually found that lockdown hasn't been too dramatically detrimental to us. Uh, I think there's been quite an uptick in number of people picking up their guitars. Uh, there's only so many box sets you, you can watch on TV and many people working from home, uh, discovering that having their guitar sat near to them where they are staring at a computer screen or answering the phone means they can take up a few more minutes practice here and there. And I think there's a new raft of people who've started playing guitar for the first time. So we've seen quite a lot of people coming in for minor adjustments or major upgrades. There's also been a lot of people who've maybe been on furlough and they've used some of the money that they've saved from not commuting into work and the furlough money to maybe buy new guitars. So we've had a busy year. Mm. And it pretty much meant that, give or take a week, I carried on working all the way through it and uh, had to isolate a couple of the lads who worked with me uh, but we were able to work in separate workshop rooms, so we acted sensibly and got through it. We um, we did an episode with Tim from Bare Knuckle, and, and uh, that was earlier on, and he was saying when they were back that they'd managed to do that. They'd got a reasonable amount of space, and they'd managed to all, all you know, a little bit work in, in bubbles so that not everybody was in, inextricably linked with everybody else if anybody had uh, had ended up falling you know falling foul of covid but also that there was enough space that they could they could do their do their thing uh, and that seemed to work well so you 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 have the same experience you've managed to pretty much i mean sadly one of our guys actually came down with covid and had time off for, for that but he's fully recovered now and uh, as much as anything it's it was tra- guys traveling in on transport trying to avoid mixing with too many people trying to keep themselves safe so how have you managed to still get things like repairs in then? Were you just, you were kind of doing a drop-off? Pretty much that. We we operated uh, a drop-off at the doorstep sort of service. A lot of people turned to either couriers or taxis or being their own taxi and dropping guitars on the doorstep and stepping mm. back, making sure they had the whole two yards distance. Mm. And, uh, you know, we took those in, we quarantined the guitars for a few days and then started working on them hmm. and yeah we followed guidelines and uh got the job done hmm. which and to be fair i mean in hindsight that whole thing about transmission via solid via surface via hard surface has kind of fallen away anyway hasn't it i mean it's oh, far more aerosol so you know so it, as, as it happened it, it, it there probably was very little risk there um, yeah. So it's uh, it's uh, you know it could have gone the other way, but um, but as it turned out, it, it wasn't wasn't too bad. I'm going to yeah. let Jace jump in because Jace always has the. So what made you get involved with this, or what was the you know? So I'm going to let him jump in with the 
Chat question with his favourite question. <laughs> that predictable. <laughs> that predictable. How do you go from a physics degree, and did you get the degree, into making guitars? Well, that, that's the whole story. Um, I'd, I'd taken up playing guitar at 16. Uh, my first experience of any kind of guitar technician was buying a second-hand Les Paul copy and wanting to change machine heads and not being able to. And we had a local shop near to where I am here, and they had a tech there called Dave Farmerlow. Big shout out to him who actually did did that. But I got inspired to pick up some tools and do a few tweaks and upgrades myself. And that was the nucleus of an idea that I'd enjoy working on guitars. However, I went off to do an applied physics diploma. And whilst I was actually at that college, I studied at Middlesex Poly, now university, and I was doing that course. And one of the secretaries at the college, uh, a really funky German girl who played bass, was in a band. And because I was rather taken with this young lady uh, <laughs> and <laughs> wanted to be around rock and roll, uh, I found myself hanging out with her and her bandmates. Now, it turns out that the guitarist in her band, now they're a band, they're a glam rock band who went on to become called No Shame. But the guitarist in the band was a girl called Tina and she was studying at the London College of Furniture. Now the London College of Furniture actually had a whole department dedicated to musical instrument making and she was studying there. And at that moment, once I realised that was a thing, my interest in physics evaporated and it became the only thing I wanted to do. So literally I bailed on the course after the first year in a desperate attempt to see if I could get what was a student grant back in those days changed over and go and study at the London College of Furniture. And, and did uh, you? Yes, <laughs> I did. <laughs> but because I had to wait a year to get in, I had to do an additional uh, A-level for the entry to it. I I was only funded through so much of the, the course. So I was actually doing the course, working as a pizza chef and doing anything I could to make it happen. Mm. In, in a way, my story about how I got to where I am now has been all about sort of making it happen and determination over everything else to actually get there and make it happen. And even getting to college wasn't the last step of that. There were many steps after. So so what happened? So you, you complete your course at the London Furniture Making. So, so, I, so I did the course at London College of Furniture and then found myself stepping out of the college and, and I'd been contacting guitar workshops. Now, what I learned very quickly was just coming out and you know, applying to workshops, there's not necessarily any you know, entry way into it there. And at the time, because this is going back, it's like 1986, 87, uh, the government were doing this big push to get people off the dole. And they created these job training schemes and everything. Oh, I was on one and of those. So because I'd gone out of college and thought, well, I'll probably have to sign on just to get my rent paid. Um, they they were very quick to say, well, maybe a job training scheme. And I jumped at the opportunity, except they found me sort of saying, so can you get me on 
any kind of training in the guitar workshop? And they said, no, maybe a building site. And I said, <laughs> okay, if I can find somebody who will put together like a comprehensive package of training, will you fund it? And they said, well, we've never done that before, but I suppose so. And I just sort of ran with it. And at the time back then, I spoke to two different workshops. I spoke to the, the fine fellows over at Chandler Guitars. And, you know, they were very amenable. But I went and actually spoke to a guy who I do owe a lot to, a guy called Neil MacDonald, who ran a workshop in Croydon called Neil's Guitar Workshop. And it's where I'd bought my first electric guitar. So I felt a bit of kinship for Neil and his workshop. Uh, Neil was fantastic. He sort of said yes and took it on. Now, in a way, because I'd actually secured like uh, funding, as it were, it meant that he was getting somebody to train without having to, you know, pay out for an employee. Mm-hmm. But that was great because it was mutually beneficial. Uh, and actually he treated me very, very well. And in that time, I learned a huge amount. And it's one of those things that you can go from college, but it's not until you're actually out there in the real world and at the sharp end doing stuff. You know, when you're at college, you might get to do one fretdress on the guitar that you've been building. Yeah. And in a workshop where it's commercial, you know, you'll be doing three fret dresses by the end of the day. Hmm. So it's, you know, a hotbed of learning to be in a proper workshop. And interestingly enough, I mean, that's what I've been doing myself over the years that we've expanded. I've taken guys on, not necessarily on the same basis, but, uh, you know, I've actually been the workshop where guys have done some additional training after college. Yeah, I mean, it's all very well, uh, you know, theory and practice are very different things, aren't they? Yeah. You know, yeah. and it, it's the, it's not the, well, you've got, you've got one semester to to build this neck and, you know, put some frets in and dress it. It's actually, like you say, you've got to do three of these today, three tomorrow, three the day after, three the day after that. And it's just that, you know, by the end of a month, they've done a huge amount of hours on doing something that, you know. Yeah. Well, you get to learn certain protocols and certain procedures and obviously learning how to do things a certain way. But, you know, the ideas that I learned there, they've certainly been refined over the years. And uh, it's finding a way to do it in a systematic and streamlined way to get the best result. So uh, so uh, what? So um, after Neil, what comes after Neil's? Well... I worked there for that year, and that was fantastic. Um, But I got an opportunity, uh, because obviously we had uh, reps from the different companies coming into the the store, and they had an opening, a company called Barnes & Mullins, who you guys will know well. Mm, Yeah. And they they were looking for somebody to do a mix of warehousing duties, but also setting up the guitars that were coming in from some of their suppliers. So, because at the time, if I remember correctly, at the time Barnes and Mullins were a London-based company. Now that's right, in Grayson Shropshire. Road in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was right there in the sort of uh, centre of London, Grayson Road, and you know that 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 was fun time. But actually, my time there wasn't as long as I might have thought it was going to be, simply because I befriended the owner of one of the companies. They. Uh, distributed so they distributed a a company called shadow 
who famously made pickups for acoustic guitars and electric guitars. Mm. But Shadow had branched out at that time. They were doing all sort of uh, guitar synthesizers and mm. other things, as well as making a lot of pickups like as OEM for companies like Ovation. Yeah. But they'd actually branched out and they were doing a line of their own electric guitars, which in a way were kind of trying to compete with Ivanez and other brands that were popular at the time. And I got an opportunity to go over to Germany, do, do the uh, music mess with them, and then sp spend some time in Germany working on the production line. As I say production line, it's not really a big factory, but uh, doing sort of the, the final setup and quality control on what was going out. So, so that was really interesting. But the. What was the most amazing thing about that was the owner of Shadow, a guy called Joe Maronick, the, the man it was a bona fide genius on so many levels and uh, incredibly creative. And it was always one of those things that you just hoped that he would download all, everything he knew into a form that others could learn from because <laughs> <laughs> it really was incredible. Yeah, yeah. So uh, is, is feline the step after that or um yeah feline kind of came about i mean by that time it's sort of like 1989 going on for 1990 feline really kind of came to into being around about 1990 91 with our first guitar being with the feline branding on being completed in like 1992 so mm. we we count 1992 as uh, year zero in terms of that but there was always work going on all the time. So that's that. That means thirtieth anniversary next year. Yes. It does indeed. It does indeed. I mean, you know, it's been a a long haul. I mean, the first uh, five years from ninety two to ninety seven, it was going on whilst holding down additional jobs, mm. because obviously um, you can be building guitars and working th sort of three or four days a week elsewhere. And one of the things I'll always say about your working life is if you're clever about it, nothing's ever wasted. So the experience that you gain, and in my case, I was working in a call centre, I was on telephones, and the, the sort of training and customer service that I got stood me in good stead. And mm. it's one of the areas that some areas of the music business is a bit lacking in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it, you know, when I set up Feline, I had a philosophy of how I wanted to run things. And obviously a lot of things I learned from both the guitar work and also the customer facing work in call centres was incorporated. So what was the first guitar? The first branded guitar? First branded guitar. Uh, I'd made one for myself and i still have it or the bit though it's in bits uh but i i got a commission to build a bass guitar for uh somebody who was in a friend's band and mm. and it'd been one of those things where he had grandmother die and had left money but she wanted him to spend it on something he was about his music yeah so he had that made and he thought i'll have this lovely bass guitar made and it'll be something I'll only ever use in the studio and so I built it and it was fantastic it was really a good bass and he subsequently started gigging it every week <laughs> so <laughs> it, it we were up and up and running uh, I built a few guitars but it was sort of like 
uh, early experimental days. And interestingly, somebody that Jace knows, uh, I, I became good friends in this time with Doug, who runs Black Machine Guitars. Yes. So he and I became sort of uh, brothers in arms when it came to sort of Luthery and uh, learning from each other. And we'll even now joke about how we meet up in London and uh, over coffee or lunch sort of hand over pickups and fret wire to each other and <laughs> trading bits. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that kinship goes back pretty much 30 years also. Has Doug moved out of London now? Last time I saw him which would be uh, 18 months ago, two years ago, in fact. He moved out of London um, and was briefly abroad and uh, briefly went north, but he, 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 he's back in London as far as I know. Right. OK. I'll give him a call uh, and find out. There's a couple of things listening back to that that are really fascinating. Uh, one, Shadow was a, a brand I'd completely forgotten about, um, and and but has now come steaming back into my memory because it was quite a thing at the time, wasn't it? It's was a relatively short-lived period, wasn't it? It was only uh, probably less than a decade. Well, Sh- Shadow were going for a long, long time, and they were well known for their acoustic transducer pickups. Yeah. At the time that they brought out the electric guitars, they'd also brought out this electric guitar pickup that had a little graphic equaliser built in. So the EQ5 pickup was something that a lot of people got excited about. And they're still quite active with uh, accessories and Mm. bits that go on guitars. Um, I mean, one area, and I've not been able to catch up with Joe to ask him about, and Jason knows where I'm going with this, it was actually Joe Marinick who came up with the concept of a branding for a guitar line. And he wanted to find something that sounded, even though it's like a European brand, that sounded very American. Because yeah. sounding American was very important. And he was playing around with names. And, he was, and I remember him explaining his theory to me. And he said, I've got this name and I think it's going to work. It's called Harley Benton, because those names sound so American. Harley <laughs> Benton, that's going to be a thing. And we smiled and we had another coffee. And uh, But years later, there's a Harley Benton guitar out there. So it may be that he has something to do with it, or maybe that he let Toe Man have it as a branding. Well, it was the guitar yeah. I was thinking of, because it was the guitar that I seem to recall being... Something that was that was front and center of magazines and and what have you, and there was somebody somewhere playing one. I seem to remember at least one person endorsing or playing them, uh, but I can't for life of me remember who it was. Um, but but that that was that was a really interesting little thing that's brought that back with a vengeance. But the other thing, going back even further, I don't I don't put Thatcher era Britain with the kind of story that you just said about well look if i can get somebody to put me a training course together will you fund it you know when i go back to my memories of the middle to late 80s it doesn't seem like the thing i would um you well, know recall. i think so the thing incredible. was politically they put so many people uh on the dole and there was a lot of political pressure to get them off the dole hmm. The 
way to do it and creating job training schemes and sort of yop schemes and all these different things that came about i think i got lucky because i'd pretty much jumped on it as soon as it came out and tried to bend it to my will yeah. rather than doing it their way so maybe i did actually get lucky by they'd not really encountered anyone trying to get a scheme <laughs> yeah well that was <laughs> that was the bit and, and i think it talks a lot a lot to you uh, and and your determination to because as i say having lived through that period uh you know i grew up i grew up in north nottinghamshire uh through the coal miner strike so i know what happened to communities i know i know how devastating that period of time was yeah. and you know and the things that were put in place to try and you know certainly in the part of the world that i grew up in to try and put these communities back on the feet were woeful mm. they really were yeah. woeful you know so to, to get to get one that actually worked in the way this worked for you i think that's a, a massive achievement so i mean all power to, to to having you know even just the the you know call it the guts call it the foresight call it the determination to get it just to wants work. to make it work yeah. make it happen yeah and it's it uh, and is it's sort Having the chutzpah. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, probably. Yeah, and it's just sort of like being willing to go and work 12-hour days in a call centre and just so that you could actually free up four days a week and go and be making guitars on your kitchen table or mm. in the shed. <laughs> can you are, you? are you still fairly good with the pizza? Because if, if, if you, you know... <laughs> I'm good at eating it. All <laughs> oh, right, Because okay. that's, that's a skill. I'm, yeah, I mean, I, mean, it, I mean, okay, I mean, it's not really... Uh, my current activity but yeah we we cooked everything from scratch so it was uh it, it was wasn't just stick it under the grill right it was, can you do the thing know, with the dough then can you do that weird flingy around dough thing yeah we didn't do the whole italian showmanship oh, right, okay. but it, but you you did get to sort of knead endless amounts <laughs> of bread dough yeah right okay i just I, I got visions of you now hair tied back just 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 pinging the dough around on a couple of fingers certainly <laughs> <laughs> not those fingers jonathan uh, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where i was going before you interrupted and interestingly it's, i hadn't thought about shadow guitars for probably 25 years but then you mentioned them like you i could see the adverts in guitarist magazine yeah. and so on yeah just come flooding back and i could see the logo the, the in my yeah. head yeah and the adverts you probably remember might have been for the synth module where you had the gtm6 synth module and they also <clears throat> licensed it to. You sometimes saw it with Charvel on it, right. so that they had things that they shared with other companies at the time. Yeah. So, uh, so where I was going to go before Ant interrupted me with random comments. Um, so, you, you've done your first feline base. When did you start to sort of like, you know, when did the panther, the tabby, the lion? Well, when did they, you know, when did they okay. all start to kind of co The, the, the range kind of, yeah. I think that really started, got an opportunity to make the big jump and give up the day job and go full time. Now, you know, I was benefited from a friend called Gary who was uh, managing a, a shop called The Music Store in Surbiton, which is was actually in the old Bell Music Shop premises the famous old building and it was at that point in time that we started trying to figure out what we were going to do going to make a few models we've always been predominantly guitar repair but mm. it became a sort of 
something that was like 70% repair, 30% building. And it was during that time that I just started to come up with ideas for models. And the thing would be that you'd, your models would sometimes come out of somebody commissioning something to be built. And uh, I, th- I think one of the first guys that I made friends with, in fact, it was from when I, I worked a summer at Chandler's, I made friends with somebody who was in a band at the time called Dirty Deeds, who were signed to uh, Steve Harris from Iron Maiden's Beast Records label, and ended up making a couple of guitars for Barry, who was the uh, lead guitarist in Dirty Deeds. And later on, and we'll come to this, he got replaced by Richie Faulkner, who, of course, ah. later on went to be in Judas Priest. So it, there's a big thread that goes on through there. But it was really through getting to build certain models and finding that I really liked a certain model. Now, so the Panther model actually came first, and it still has a, quite a big affection for mm. me. And uh, But subsequently, we looked at some of the other shapes coming in so we added the the tabby model which was our sort of telecaster shape to the panther so we had this a super strat and a, a modified sort of tele type design and uh and we and part of the thing with choosing feline as a branding name was you could actually put the names of other cats or big cats to it so it had a bit of a val- value in terms of uh naming yeah so I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, certainly I, I think gets talked about a lot is your neck heel joint. On the... Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like the philosophy of the guitar not getting in the way of the player. It was always mm. one of my wishes that you could see if you could make a guitar where you'd play it and nothing would get in your way and it would allow you to play up and down the neck without having to think about anything but the music you're playing. Now, a lot of guitars in the 70s where you had like a, a through neck, maybe something like a BC Rich, had that sculpted heel area and you had unfettered access right to the top of the neck. Uh, one of my friends had an Aria Les Paul type guitar, their PE series, mm. and that had an angled and sculpted heel on that. So that was probably the first time I'd been playing like a Les Paul type guitar and it had a much better access. So... That that became a desire to have things not get in the way, and yeah. and that, by this time I'd, I'd already started working uh, with somebody as a, a a partner in crime or an accomplice in this business, and uh, that you know we've worked together now for twenty eight years, so it, it was a combination of what I wanted to do, some of his initial woodworking skills, and my guitar fettling skills that made part of that recipe but certainly working together to make designs still look classic i i kind of figured out very quickly because we offered almost like a blank sheet of paper to people that they could have anything built that they wanted 99.9 percent of the time they came back with a design you think that's familiar (laughs) because people like familiar shapes but what they sometimes want to do is get around the things that are still there because of historical reasons and that and we looked to see how we could refine it so it'd be like a classic looking guitar but modern feeling yeah i mean because otherwise 
you know, let's be honest, you've mentioned BC Rich. They'd be the biggest brand in the world if people were, you know, less drawn to the traditional shapes, mm. shall we say. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there have certainly been guys who've tried to innovate. I mean, I think Paul Reed Smith was one of the guys who I greatly admire, and mm. also the guys at Hamer Guitars. I mean, there were a couple of guys who looked at the classic, they looked at the Fenders, they looked at the Gibsons, and they said, what can we do to either amalgamate certain things together to sort of streamline things. Hamer, in particular, were one of those companies that I admired greatly. And they would do certain things which were very much old school. Hamer always insisted on three-piece necks for stiffness and for not twisting. Yeah. And, you know, they they were much more robust, generally speaking. And, you know, I was I, inspired I always, by that. I always felt that the the sort of death of Hamer which was, oh God, it's within the last, last 10 years, isn't it? Was it more than that, maybe? I, I mean, they, they, they kind of got changed hands a, a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, at the time that I got to know the Hamer guys uh, was when they'd been bought out by Command Industries, which is Ovation. Yes. So they, they got bought out, and that wasn't a bad move. And they had... Uh, the distribution for them, at least in the UK, being handled by Trace Elliott. So mm. it became all under that umbrella. Um, but the connection, of course, being that Shadow was supplying pick- pickups to Ovation and there was uh, a connection. So, of course, I got a glimpse at what was going on with Hamer. And they're just a fantastic company. Mm. Uh, the now, When they sold to Fender then, is that where it all went to? Yeah, I mean, the, the name got sold to Fender and... Unfortunately, sometimes some companies who go around buying things or buying other companies do it just to put them out of business mm. and don't really ever do anything big, big with it. So sometimes you see an acquisition and you think, oh, this could be interesting. Suddenly the company's going to have money behind it. And actually all they do is they take the brand and put it in the cellar and make sure nobody ever sees it again. I think they did it with SWR as well. Yes, they did. And uh, they ended up with Ovation as well, didn't they? Yeah, there have been a few companies that have gone that way, and it's a shame. I think it reduces the diversity of opportunities yeah, for players. And, and I can't imagine any of those brands actually compete directly with Fender. Surely the Hamer stuff was traditionally competing with Gibson. you know. So And, and maybe at the time Fender bought it to sort of stick it to Gibson, they had a brand that could do that. But at the mm. same time, they also bought Guild. Yes. And, and Guild let them do a, a lot of other models that were very much Gibson competitors. So maybe they didn't need Hamer to do that so much. Hmm. So <laughs> anyway, um, I, think one of, I think one of your most famous Panthers, which is a, an S-type guitar, um, mm-hmm. given your name is Jonathan Law, is oh, yeah. the Anthrax <laughs> I Am The Law. Not to do with Anthrax, 100% to do with Judge Dredd. <laughs> my my brother was a complete and utter 2000 AD fanatic and bought every issue from like issue one and mm. uh and of course being his older brother i got to read the comics when he wasn't looking yeah. and uh, became quite a big fan of that but there was actually one particular um cover of a an edition of 2000 AD that had this great bit of artwork that they actually used to sell as a T-shirt. And so you could go down to Forbidden Planet and buy that as a T-shirt. And it's, and it's the artwork that ended up on the guitar. Right. And, uh, 
And yes, because my surname is Law, in laying in pearl in the neck, I am the Law. <laughs> seemed great fun. Of course, everybody assumes, oh, you must be an Anthrax fan. And uh, whilst I appreciate what they do, they're not actually my cup of tea. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, I, 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 I kind of quite like them when Spreading the Disease came out. And in fact, I, I walked past the venue that I saw them in, in about oh, 1990 or something the other day with my daughter and said, I got a black eye in there. <laughs> I was uh, quite literally caught in a mosh. Uh, yes, you were. <laughs> yeah. I think at the time I was much more of a, a Motley Crue and Kiss and uh, sort of uh, big hair and tight trousers brigade yeah. rather than the Metallica um, Anthrax. I mean, I was, I was definitely uh, like you. I think we're about the same age. We'd have had the same sort of tastes, you know, from Hanoi Rocks to Kiss and New York Dolls and through to yeah. the sort of the sort of second wave that came through. But we, uh, you know, there weren't many rock fans. Certainly, where I lived in Birmingham at the time, there weren't many rock fans. And you know, I like glam. Mates like thrash. Another mate liked AOR. So we just used to go to each other's gigs because otherwise yeah. we'd never have gone to a gig, sort yeah. of thing. So, you know, ended up seeing Metallica and Anthrax and. Got FM is the most classic AOR mm. one I can think oh, of. Oh yeah, saw FM it's, loads of times. Never bought a single record by him. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very hard to start a mosh pit an FM gig. <laughs> Stage <Yeah>. diving. <laughs> <laughs> Too many lovely layered keyboard parts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and don't mess up the hair. <laughs> so I suppose you know. Um, also alongside the uh, I am the law guitar, because there's that beautiful GT40 Golf striped um, sort of Panther as well. Uh, uh, again, <clears throat> that was a similar shape, and uh, it's g- gently dipping into my love of uh, classic motorsports. And uh, if I had my way, I'd have a whole collection of uh, Le Mans and F1 themed guitars. But <laughs> yeah. um, but it it was. A, a nice guitar kept it really, really simple, and I just fancied doing something. And I just had, um, you know, a painter a guy I knew paint it up like, you know, the racing stripes of the GT40. The colours weren't quite true to form, but anyone who looks at it thinks, yeah, that's got that Le Mans car. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. So, uh, and then I suppose you know, if I suppose we bring it sort of more up to date, you've got. Um, You've got the 25th anniversary models. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that next year we'll be seeing 30th anniversary models. Yeah, yeah. Because no one ever does the 27th year anniversary models. <laughs> well, we did, the, we did the 20th, and that was a big, big thing for us. And we sort of... Because uh, our 20th was in 2012. So we did uh, 12 guitars to celebrate 20 years. It was 2012. Mm. And uh, then we did the 25th. And again, we kind of went with a dozen guitars. It was a baker's dozen. I made a, an, an extra one so I could have one. Um, and uh, and we, we've still got a couple of those guitars that are utterly fantastic. Uh, the 30th anniversary will f- follow that same theme. There came a point at which what, what we became known for was making that classic single cutaway Les Paul type guitar uh, with you know classic looks and modern features and by modern features I'm not meaning self-tuning or anything like that I'm sort of really <laughs> just meaning it, it's those few refinements some of the things we do are actually kind of quite backwards looking and as much as proper old school luthery things where you're using three-piece necks quarter song grain the things that traditional luthiers would have done mm. uh, 
But in terms of the sort of sculpting and feel and getting things done, you know, we, we try to move it forward. One of the things actually we, you know, feel made a big quantum leap for us, forward for us was actually finding the Irvana compensated tuning nut, mm. which when we can use it, we will, because we feel it makes a huge difference. Having a guitar that actually sounds more in tune is a lovely, lovely thing. And on a guitar that sounds very big and can be a bit too beefy, like a Les Paul or a 335, it can be an utter saviour to get a bit of fidelity back into that guitar. Interesting. I mean, I've played Les Pauls all my life, so I'm used to a guitar that's vaguely out of tune. Uh, <laughs> I'm not entirely that's sure your that I'd like one in tune. <laughs> 30 years of listening will have to go out the window. Just but quite, it's quite nice yeah, when you pick up an electric guitar when you play it and it actually sounds like a sweet acoustic guitar when it's unplugged and you just know that when you plug that in it's going to sound magnificent through your stack of amplifiers mm. so is it just the 12 again for the 30th anniversary uh i'm not i'm not quite sure i mean one of the interesting things is uh my long-standing right-hand man in the building side of things is actually reaching uh quite an advanced number of years and himself and uh, we're sort of looking about going out with a big hurrah on that front mm. uh, so we're technically speaking we've probably got about somewhere between 10 and 15 guitars that we've said yeah let's do this as a, a 30th and it may be that we've got uh, we're going to do lion models again because that seems to be our thing to celebrate with and we're going to do yeah five of the um lion supreme which is the one with the maple cap but we're doing it with the thinner bodied uh profile because you can still get all the tone out of the guitar without the weight and the bulk mm. and i i'm at an age where i want um comfort rather than anything else <laughs> and uh, so actually having a little bit of a gentle ribcage contour can make a fantastic difference to how long you'll spend rehearsing with that guitar. Mm. Yeah. Um, but the, so we've got five of those, but we've actually decided, I've actually decided that I want to make five uh, with a Floyd Rose and a sustainer. So I'm sort of trying to do the guitar that Richie Sambora wishes he could have had. <laughs> but, well, in a way it's sort of becoming its own thing. Cause you've got so many people who are into, you know, bands that use sustainers and, mm. you know, things like that. And it's just nice to have a really high-end built guitar that's not a Neil Sean model that that you can actually have with that. I think Alex Lifeson from Rush enjoys something similar as well. So, you know, it's, yeah. kind, of in, it's kind of in vogue. Yeah, I think I have an Epiphone just uh, launched the Alex Lifeson Les Paul. It's the Axis, isn't it, with the Floyd yeah. Rose on it. Yeah, and I think that actually also had a Graftex Piezo acoustic right. saddles on it, so you could actually have uh, acoustic guitar sounds out of it as well, which, when you're doing something like Rush, might be really, really useful. Yeah, can't say I'm a big Rush fan. <laughs> Wouldn't know. Um, so, if, if, you are, um, if you're going out with a bang with Graham in 2022, um, this means that there will be... a change in your business plan the 23 moving forward yeah i mean we're, we're we're sort of looking at the fact that there may be some changes whether we actually regroup and carry on doing it 
the simple fact with the guitar side of our business, whilst it really is the shiny, attractive bit that everybody knows about, mm. it's actually the bread and butter work, the very solid amount of setups and fret dressing and servicing that we do on guitars. And probably our fret work is actually what keeps the lights on mm. yeah. because our fret work's probably what we're quite well known for. And we were saying about guitars that are being shipped to us. We had people from all over the country during lockdown shipping guitars to us for refrets. And, uh, you know, it, it's pleasing that people go a long way to have a good refret done on their guitar. So that kind of work is actually really, really important to us. And I, and it's always been either 70-30 or 75-25 split on that. So if we stop making the guitars, we maybe lo lose a little bit of that shiny shop window you know that everybody yeah, yeah. looks and enjoys but the work that keeps us going is the other side of the work so we're kind of looking to let more people know about the repair work that we do rather than just let it be a word of mouth thing which has worked fantastically for us but you know we need to sort of let more people know about the repair side of our life yeah because you've cut I think I've noticed you started picking up some more sort of like hardware brands as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing that became increasingly important to us was uh, to have an online shop. And we, we'd always sold through to a degree through eBay and we had a reverb shop that wasn't doing a huge amount. But stepping up it up with our own website, we changed our website and had a, a proper shop attached to it. And that's really stepped things up. But... I always wanted to sort of cherry pick some lines that we keep. And we already had a couple that we were stocking that not everybody else necessarily had. So we had the Ivana nuts, which, you know, people would come to us for because we've got so much experience with them. We were also, you know, selling a lot of individual strap lock buttons because, you know, it was an easy place for people to come and get additional buttons for that. Yeah. It's a surprising number of people who you know, just want that to kit out all their guitars. But we did actually deliberately go and seek out some good lines to take on. I wanted a portfolio of brands that I could be excited about, let alone, you know, sell to other people. Uh, we took on a German hardware company called Faber, who kind of do very faithful repro bridges and tailpieces and machine heads for Gibson-type guitars and vintage Fender-type guitars. Uh, so that that was a line that we were happy to take on. And there was a, a Dutch company called Highwood who did some very nice sort of replacement Stratocaster saddles that had a design so that the grub screws never stuck out and stuck into your hand. So for, for comfort, that was brilliant. Yes, but, I've, I've had one of those Fender bridges. It was bloody agony. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the other thing whilst we're talking about bridges is a big move we made. We had a, a chance to get in with uh, some fantastic engineers who had already been making some sort of classic Fender-style vibrato bridges very faithfully. and uh, But we actually went to them and had them make some parts for us. And so we launched a couple a line of products called Fat Cat Hardware. Mm. And uh, as well as selling the, the vibrato systems, which they make, we also added a whole range of replacement Floyd Rose blocks, 
So everybody's seen these oversized blocks, huge chunks of brass for the Floyd Rose sustain block. Uh, but we actually wanted it in steel. And now I felt that the very early Floyd Roses had this big steel block and it was part of the sound, you know, and obviously in recent times, everybody's obsessed over it, Van Halen. Mm. And it, those early trems that he was trying out under the Floyd Rose banner had these huge bl- steel blocks on them. And the difference between going with a brass block or a steel block can be heard. They both sound fat, but the steel block seems to give a bit more fidelity in terms of low and high frequencies. And th- that's fantastic. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so, uh, so there's lots to look forward to. Is there any other brands? I, could, I certainly can recommend the Duesenberg strap locks. When, once I discovered them, I've put them on absolutely all <laughs> of my guitars. The, yeah. the, the, the most simple and elegant solution to strap locks I've ever seen. Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you, if you find something that works for you, go, you, you go with it. We're, we're always looking at lines that we want to take on. We, we, in the last sort of 15, 20 years, we've worked very closely with UK-based pickup manufacturers. Mm. We were an early stockist and you know, flag waver for bare knuckle. And in fact, quite early on, we, we shared guitar show stands with Tim and... Uh, yeah, so we, we, did you do that at Music Live? It wasn't Music Live. We did Music Live in 1999, and obviously that's where we our paths first crossed, and yeah. uh, that that was a great opportunity. And uh, the but subsequently it was the London Guitar Show, which was born out of the uh, Guitar Magazine, wasn't it? No, not Guitar Magazine. Sorry, Guitar Buyer. Uh, guitar Buyer, and uh, they, they ran a show and. That was a nice. That was a nice show. I mean, the music live made that facility to have some UK-based talent coming in rather than just the big companies showing their stuff. Uh, guitar buyers, London Guitar Show again encouraged that. And obviously, what you, you're doing with the the Birmingham Guitar Show is 100% in that direction. And yeah, I, I think that, it's it's really interesting. I wrote an article for um, the Music Industry Association um, because I'm an influencer, so people come to are. me for my <laughs> input on the world. And uh, and when we're short on content, uh, and when they're short on content, and um, and it, and, it, and it was just kind of and I put in it, you know, that you you start off with you know the traditional British brands of Vox and Marshall and, and Laney and so on, but in the last sort of like. 10 15 years this explosion of british making yeah is, is phenomenal you know because you've got tim but you also stock monty's pickups as well don't you that's and right we've... i mean the the our sort of lineage when we got in very early with tim uh the first time we encountered each other he his stand was directly opposite ours at the guitar show and uh we listened to his pickups all weekend <laughs> and we were completely and lastly sold. And I think we were one of the first five or six stockists in the UK. Yeah. And, you know, we had uh, Doug from Black Machine on a neighbouring stand as well. So we became sort of, you know, flag wavers for that. And it really helped his brand because uh, we, we were standing a little bit bigger. And these days, obviously, they've grown into an industry giant. So mm. that's great. Um, and I've always champion having a couple of good brands that people can choose from uh we got involved uh 
we were still heavily involved with bare knuckle, but we also got involved with Oil City for yeah a number of years, and uh, and a lot of their masterwound range were collaborations you know, from my brain and Ash's winding skills, and so some of those designs came together, and really they were filling niches in the market that weren't at that time being yeah. covered, and you know so but we also became good friends with Monty's and enjoyed having some of his pickups. And in a way, what it meant was if somebody was coming to us for one of our guitars, they could have any of these great British-made pickups in. And we, we saw it as not necessarily being strong competition with each other, but they were sort of edging some of the foreign imports out of the way mm. and letting people have some of this fabulously British-made stuff. And obviously... On British-made guitars and having a British-made pickup, it just had a good feeling about it. Not yeah. that other brands aren't fantastic too, but uh, it was really good. And of course, more recently, you know, we've got uh, Thomas Nielsen of Cream Tea pickups doing stuff. And you know, and in a way, I just feel very fortunate to have all these fabulous products lying around that we can turn to. Yeah, yeah. Because is it the Whisker Booker he's doing? The Whisker Booker, obviously, he he has the patronage of uh, Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top and the Whisker Bucker is his faithful scanning of uh, Billy Gibbons' Pearly Gates p- yeah. guitars, pickups, and they're doing that. But yeah, they're, they're marketing that and we're just waiting. They've got Bernie Marsden's pickups on board and also Jeff Whitehorn's pickups from his Gold Top. And, and you're slowly, slowly getting some other things. I know that uh, Patrick Eggles released a few guitars with those in, and they're fantastic. Mm. And, uh, you know, and in a way, we're at that point where you're getting to choose different types of excellence. It's like you want a sports car, and it's like, well, you've got a choice between a Ferrari and a Maserati or or a Lamborghini. You know, neither of them are going to... Be anything other than wonderful it's just what flavor of wonderful you want <laughs> <laughs> yes. but uh so i mean th- we've got all that going on the the other things that this last couple of years has really brought to mind and we're going to certainly investigate these avenues more we've had customers who've come to us with guitars that they've had since their younger days and it made me realize that People are very happy to do something with the guitar that they'll never sell. You know, we've all got a mm. guitar. It might have been a first guitar. It might have been uh, a gift from a parent or a loved one. And it's like, I'll never sell this guitar, but it needs a shot in the arm to make it play as nicely as my other guitars. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's, guys go, well, normally the rationale of spending a few hundred pounds on a guitar that's only a Squire Strat might seem a bit alien, but I'm never going to sell this guitar, but it needs some help to be everything it could be. Yeah, yeah. Now, the thing that we've learned is that we've lost an awful lot of snobbery when it comes to brands, because you start identifying a guitar as two pieces of wood that have gone together, or two or three pieces of wood, and some, some associated hardware and electronics. And you start stripping away the mystique of a name branding and you start identifying, will this, will these pieces of wood work well together as a guitar? And if they will, the upgrades are certainly worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. And we get people with, 
guitars that have been their teenage guitars that they learnt all their Green Day songs on or their <laughs> Oasis songs on, now supercharged into something that they'll quite happily play as happily as one of their more boutique guitars. Yeah. And, and of course, the other thing that's happened in this last year is there's been an awful lot of people who've had a go at putting together their own guitar kits, whether it be completely from scratch or just a kit of parts they bought in. And um, we, we found ourselves getting a lot of phone calls from guys who've been really happy with the process of putting a guitar together, but they know there's an extra 20% still locked up in that guitar in terms of playability that, you know, could we help them find that extra well, bit of performance? Absolutely. I mean, I said to you earlier when we were chatting uh, before, I mean, I've done that. It's, um, I put together a, I suppose for want of a better description, a hard-tailed super strap. Mm. Um, and, I, and this is like the sixth parts caster I've built, and I've re- I really enjoyed the process of, you know, spraying them. You know, it was you mm. know this one was sprayed when we had summer two months yeah. ago, um, which was brilliant. So I could do it in the garden, and it dried really quickly. And then I had to leave it for two months for it to harden off before I could relic it. Of course, um, of course. Uh, you know, and I've put it together, and it was okay. Um, but I sent it to uh, a mate of mine, Keith, who knows what he's doing far more than I do because this is his job. Uh, and he went, yeah, that neck needs to shim. This needs to move a little bit, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then, you know, in fact, while we've been talking, he's just sent me a picture of it finished. Oh, excitement. <laughs> so uh, Friday afternoon, I'm going to pick it up. Uh, yeah. I mean, the thing that moving forward that I want to do is document a few of these interesting projects where we're doing a bit of final putting together and finessing of people's projects Mm. uh, and share them on our website because these are good stories and it it will maybe inspire people with their own projects and and it's about time that I put a few new stories there not have just the uh, Richie Faulkner Les Paul story being the focus of attention although that is quite an extraordinary story You've you've enjoyed that one a few times. I, ha- I have, and uh, I, we're almost out of time, unfortunately. But I would recommend anybody goes to the Feline website and has a look at that Richie Faulkner Les Paul custom, because the state of that guitar when you got it with its snapped off headstock, but it seemed to take some of the neck as well as just the headstock. It, it was trashed. <laughs> to how it how it completed in fact uh, I, I was um, when I had to cancel um, the guitar show uh, this year this year which I can't I've obviously cancelled it you know well before February um, I actually asked you and you let me uh, use one of your photographs to kind of you know yeah. this, that was pretty much how I was feeling at the moment my headstock had been snapped off um, <laughs> but you know seriously go to the Feline Guitars website and have a look at that story it is remarkable the job that you did to restore that guitar back to its glory. Um, I, I can't say enough about it. It looks fantastic. Yeah, it was a it was a very happy ending to on on a guitar that had been somebody's pride and joy. Mm. So I I, I think we, I, I'm pretty much done, Ant, because I, I I know we're kind of running out of time. Have you got 
Anything left? To no, say? no, not at all. It's just been another one of these where, um, you know, I mean, obviously you, you know, you you abuse me royally in the middle as you tend to do, but it's been just nice to sit and listen, um, um, you know, sit and listen to Jonathan and the and you know and the journey he's been on because it's absolutely fascinating and and of, and of course as always happens every time we we record one of these, you know, as 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 Jonathan was describing that guitar that you're never going to sell but the needs. That, that needs a bit of work and I glanced over to the guitar of mine that's the one I'm never going to sell that needs a little bit of work and thought oh, bloody hell it's another one of these podcasts going to cost me money because um, we don't interview anybody where I don't actually want half of the website or realise that, that, that they can help me do something with, with something I've already got so so thank thank you Jonathan for, for, for that I'm now going to be pondering on what that's going to cost uh, uh, as my '62 reissue needs a bit of needs a bit of love and care, um, but it's 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 honestly, mate. I mean, you know, having been doing this job for twenty uh, odd years now, people go, "Why have you got so many guitars?" It's because I speak to so yeah. many of these buggers, yeah. and they put them in my hands and go, "Have a go," yeah. and you go, "This is amazing," you know, and it's it's just fatal. They know exactly what they're doing. Don't they? Yeah, they know exactly. They what do. They're... Jonathan, we're talking well, about you now. Uh... Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> well, it's when when we've done the guitar show in Birmingham, it, it's been great because we find people from the other the other stalls, the other vendors coming around before the show opens to have a quick check out of what your stuff's like, and it's sort of like, you know. Oh, you sold one to Mark at Guitars for you, didn't you? Didn't you buy? That's a... right. I mean, he, he'd been looking for a vintage uh, Les Paul Junior type guitar. And uh, he tried one of our double cut uh, lion cubs, and it was just like, "Wow, this has all the the vibe of an old one with the build quality of a new one." Yeah, and I think that you know, someone who's been around guitars as much as Mark, that's a pretty good endorsement. Oh yeah, I I, I took it as a feather in my cap. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, right. listen, thank you ever so much for your time. Uh, you're very uh, welcome thank you for having me i've been looking forward to no it's been it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, and and yeah and and next time i'm down that neck of the woods i'm definitely going to pop along um but no it's been it's been a joy and a pleasure to meet you um and uh, and hopefully we'll catch up with you well hopefully we'll catch you at the show next year lovely stuff yep looking forward to it cool jace do we need to um just do a quick shout out to our other uh, yes, to, to our, proper, our sponsors, proper sponsors rather than me being an influencer. Yes, yes. we need to thank Focusrite as ever um, for the sponsorship of Nine to Forty Two. Thank you very much, guys. Really appreciate it. And you know, as put on every post, that this podcast is made using a Scarlet Two I Two. There we have it. Jace, I'll catch you next time. Jonathan, look forward to seeing you soon. Everybody, take care, uh, and we will uh, we'll speak to you next time. Thanks, guys. In a blast. Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9 to 42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production. Mm-hmm.